Gail Trotter, a conservative voice for you, right inside our nation's capital. Legal and political analysis. Now, The Gail Trotter Show. Hi, I'm Gail Trotter, host of The Gail Trotter Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Last week, we covered a bunch of different topics, and the topic that seemed to interest you all the most was Spygate. So I did a little more research on it and want to share some developing news that we have and a little background on one of the major players in the Obama administration during Spygate. Uh, I want to share with you that we need to doggedly pursue Spygate and make sure that those who are responsible are held ac accountable. So let's think about who was at the top of the Obama administration when all of these things were going on. You might not realize it, but the State Department was very involved in Spygate. And if you look at the very tip top of the State Department, who was in charge? The Secretary of State during the Spygate transgressions was John Kerry. Some of you might not be familiar with John Kerry's long history in politics and in the swamp. So I wanted to give you a little background to begin today talking about who is John Kerry. I personally believe that John Kerry is the best example of the selfish limousine liberals of the baby boom generation. He is a man who used his notoriety as a veteran turned anti-war activist to jumpstart his political career. And this is according to Wikipedia, which is not known for having conservative views. Uh, he served for four months in Vietnam as the office, officer in charge of a swift boat, and he was there, he was in country in Vietnam during the war, and when he returned, and this still astonishes me to this day, he testified before Congress against his fellow service members, accusing them of the most heinous crimes against their fellow human beings. While he was in Vietnam for four months, he won the Silver Star, he won the Bronze Star, and he was awarded with three Purple Hearts. From these three Purple Hearts, the wounds sustained, he scored an early release from being in Vietnam and was sent back state, stateside because he had three qualifying wounds. After he was discharged from military service, he joined the Vietnam Vets Against the War. And on April 22, 1971, he threw some of his military medals over a fence at the U.S. Capitol building to protest the war. And I think it cannot bear repeating enough what he said before Congress and before the entire world about his fellow service members. He said, they told the stories at times they had personally raped, cut off ears, cut off heads, taped wires from portable telephones to human genitals, turned up the power, cut off limbs, blown up bodies, randomly shot at civilians, raised villages in fashion reminiscent of Genghis Khan, shot cattle and dogs for fun, poisoned food stocks, and generally ravaged the countryside of South Vietnam in addition to the normal ravage of war and the normal and very particular ravaging which is done by the applied bombing power of this country. This is what 
he told the entire world during the time that we were still at war against Vietnam, when we still had his generation serving on the ground in Vietnam. And if you ask the people who were POWs during that time, they talk about how they had to be tortured to say that they had done these things against the Vietnamese people, which they had not done. And yet here was John Kerry, not even just saying it, telling it to people or to people in power in the United States. He was saying it on the national stage. He was giving support and comfort to enemies who were at war, the communist dictatorship, not the Vietnamese people who were suffering under the oppression of the communist dictatorship of Vietnam, but the Vietnamese communist government. He was giving them help. So I think that's very important to remember as we assess John Kerry's character. So what did he do after testifying against his fellow soldiers? He was the senator from Massachusetts from 1985 until 2013. He married an heiress as his second wife and he was the wealthiest senator while he was in office. Financial disclosure forms say he was worth about $230 million to about $320 million while he was in office. What did he do while he was a senator? Something that we're familiar with some of these liberal senators trying to negotiate foreign policy behind the back of a Republican president. Uh, he went to Nicaragua during the height of the conflict between the Sandinistas and the Contras. The Contras were the freedom fighters who were being supported by the Reagan administration to try and counter the communist influence of Russia and also Cuba in the rest of Central and Latin America. He went with another U.S. senator to Nicaragua to talk with the awful leader of the Sandinistas, Daniel Ortega. And when they met with Daniel Ortega, he offered them a ceasefire if they would make the United States stop supporting the freedom fighters, the Contras. So he came back with that, and it just shows a pattern to me of him trying to take the prerogatives of the president instead of doing what he was supposed to do as a senator, rather than trying to direct the foreign policy of the United States, which is what the president is supposed to do, the executive branch. Now, the Congress has the power of the purse, so they can support or go against it, but to go and talk to a foreign leader in opposition to what the Reagan administration was trying to do is just so abominable, it almost, uh, it's hard to describe in words what a terrible mistake that was by Senator John Kerry. Uh, he also was a famous flip-flopper. Flip he ran for the presidential nomination in 2004. He became the candidate for the Democrat Party in the presidential election of 2004. He had voted for the Iraq War, and then when he was challenged on that vote, he said, well, I voted for the $87 billion to go to support the Iraq war before I voted against it. And he was tarred in that election as not being a man of principle, but being a flip-flopper. And during this presidential uh, bid to be for the American people to elect him to be president, 
250 Swift Boat veterans spoke out against him and against his military record. And he also has a bad taste in making excuses for himself when he says really offensive things. Uh, he made this comment to a group one time. He said, if President Bush is shot, the Secret Service has orders to shoot Vice President Dan Quayle. He brushed this off as a joke. He also said in 2006, when he was talking to another group of people, you know, education, if you make the most of it, you study hard, you do your homework, and you make an effort to be smart, you can do well. If you don't, you get stuck in Iraq. People were outraged that he said this. He was so dishonoring, yet again, the military members who were willing to give their lives in service of this country and in service of freedom across the world. And yet, here was another example of where his heart truly lies. And then when he was called out to it, his response was, well, I apologize to no one for my criticism of the president and his broken policy. And it was not an apology. And when he eventually ended up giving a half-hearted apology, it was one of those, I apologize if I've offended anybody. Uh, he did support military action in Libya in 2011. We remember that with President Obama leading from behind. John Kerry was in favor of that. And I think the most John Kerry liberal baby boomer thing ever that ever happened was after the Charlie Hebdo massacre in Paris by Islamic radical terrorists, he took James Taylor to sing the song, You've Got a Friend, to the French people. And uh, there's, a there's an article about it saying, over one million people and many prominent world leaders marched in anti-terrorism protests in Paris last Sunday, but the United States notably failed to send either President Obama or any high-level official. The next day, the White House press secretary, Josh Earnest, said that this was a mistake and someone with a higher profile should have been sent. This Friday, however, Secretary of State John Kerry attempted to apologize to France in his own unique way by having legendary singer-songwriter James Taylor perform You've Got a Friend at a French press conference. Unbelievable. He also said uh, after this massacre that there was a sort of particular particularized focus and perhaps even a legitimacy in terms of not a legitimacy, but a rationale that you could attach yourself to somehow and say, okay, they're really angry because of this and that. That's referring to the radical Islamic terrorists who massacred innocent people, and it was part of the entire Obama administration trying to not acknowledge radical Islamic terrorism, jihadists, but trying to... to point to other things that inspired them to their murderous rampages. Uh, so I, in relation to that too, you might not know this, but instead of honoring the tradition of going to inauguration where we as, an Amer as Americans celebrate the peaceful transfer of power, John Kerry skipped Donald Trump's inauguration. And instead, the day after the inauguration, he attended the Women's March. He also says he's a Catholic, but he supports the unlimited abortion license 
promoted by the Democrat Party. So this brings us to a very important point. We understand who John Kerry is, going back a little bit through his history in politics, history with the military. Now this brings me to my second very important point. The State Department's top leadership was up to their eyeballs in Spygate. And I think it's really important that we outline news that came out last week by Breitbart's Aaron Klein. He was reporting that John Kerry's State Department was a key player in the Russian collusion hoax. That's the title of his article. I'm going to link to it down below. In it, it says, newly declassified documents spotlight the role of Kerry's State Department in the Russia hoax investigation. And when we looked at some uh, recently declassified portions of FISA warrants that were issued to try and spy on Carter Page, uh, we see that a lot of it was based on information from the State Department. And you would think, well, I understand why the FBI was involved in this. I understand why uh, law enforcement was involved in this. But why was the State Department involved in this? And if you look at previous reporting, it showed that there were deep connections between the State Department the foreign spy, Christopher Steele, who was the author or the compiler of the dirty dossier, and Clinton associates, Sidney Blumenthal and Cody Shearer. And if you look at top State Department officials, including Victoria Nuland, she was in contact with Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson, and that was the origins of the Christopher Steele dirty dossier. You might remember that the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC funded the creation of the dirty dossier. You might also remember Victoria Nuland, who I just mentioned, was of the Benghazi revised talking points fame. So she has been in the middle of a lot of this, and she had previously served in the Bill Clinton administration too, so she has a long history with the Clintons. Um, Newland told a Senate intelligence hearing that she did not participate in a briefing at the State Department with Christopher Steele, saying, quote, I actively chose not to be part of that briefing. But in that same hearing before the Senate before the Senate, when Victoria Nuland was testifying, she said she didn't know that there was going to be a briefing with Christopher Seale. So that's an obvious inconsistency that needs to be chased down. Then you look at the other top people in the Cary State Department. John Finer was Cary's chief of staff at the State Department, and he apparently shared the dirty dossier summary with John Cary. This was from a New Yorker profile. And Jonathan Winner, another State Department official, gave the report to Finer and admitted to regularly interfacing and exchanging information with Christopher Steele. And that's from uh, Winner's op-ed in the Washington Post, all of which is cited in this Breitbart piece, this excellent Breitbart piece, which I'm also going to link to down below. He also admitted that he gave anti-Trump information to Christopher Steele that he received from Sidney Blumenthal. And that info from Sidney Blumenthal came from Cody Shearer. So you've got two Clinton operatives who've been tight with the Clintons for a very, very long time feeding information to the State Department, which is then fed back 
to the person that the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC have hired to compile a dirty dossier against candidate Donald Trump. And I'm going to link down below to this really interesting Judicial Watch article from June 14, 2019, the title of which is Obama State at Center of the Anti-Trump Coup Cabal. And it talks about how documents revealing senior state Obama officials, Victoria Nuland, John Winner, coordinated with incoming House Majority Whip Steny Hoyer's National Security Advisor, Daniel Silverberg, to work on Russia dossier information provided by Christopher Steele. So you've got Christopher Steele being paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC to create the infamous anti-Trump dossier, and that dossier is used to justify warrants to spy on Carter Page, who was not a foreign agent. Remember, we talked about this last week. He was an informant for our intelligence service, and there is evidence that someone at the FBI forged an email discussing whether or not Carter Page was an agent of the Central Intelligence Agency if he was giving, I'm sorry, if he was an informant of the CIA. So I think this is really important in this Judicial Watch article. It says, quote, the Obama State Department was a way station for Steele's smear dossier and other anti-Trump activism. So my conclusion today is that we have to keep digging. We have to keep investigating. This cannot go away. It's a, a very important thing to understand that if there was an effort by our top intelligence agencies and the State Department to try and cancel the election of candidate Donald Trump or to take him out once he was inaugurated as president, this is wrong. It goes to the very heart of our democracy, of our political system, and it cannot stand. So if you think about that, the Democrats, the deep state, the swamp, they didn't want candidate Trump elected. They certainly didn't want him to stay in office and be an effective president. And this is something that we as Americans cannot let go. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you will subscribe below. Please hit the bell and comment down below what topics you would like me to cover next. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also follow her on Twitter at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now. It's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.